I'm trying to communicate how I see the world and how I look at objects. And, you know, the object, it might not be alive, but it's certainly not dead. <laughs> and I think, I guess with that, I'm suggesting that the, the, you know, the armchair has a personality and like, it's a bit like an animal or whatever. And certainly it's not to everyone's taste, but at least it might make someone stop to think like, what is that? What am I looking at? And I think through that, perhaps it can open your mind to other possibilities. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. Beata Human founded her studio in 2013 following a nine-year stint with Nikki Haslam. She's known for playful and original work, taking inspiration from myriad sources, both past and present, creating layered, balanced interiors. In addition to a diverse portfolio of residential work, Beata masterminded the design of London's Farm Girl Cafe, an Instagrammer's dream, as well as a surreal Egyptian revival-themed VIP lounge at 2018's Decorex International. Welcome, Beata. Lovely to see you. Um, Thank you, you very much. You're quite hard to pigeonhole as a designer. Is that your aim? Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's my aim as such, but I think I've always quite enjoyed being a bit contrary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that anything to do with your Scandinavian background? Maybe it's a bit more to do with... The fact that I moved here from Scandinavia and I sort of place myself in situations where I don't really belong in a way. <laughs> I think why I didn't want to stay in Sweden is because you become very set in your ways when you grow up in a place and you know you spend your entire life there and I think I've always really liked sort of exploring the offbeat. <laughs> and challenging I suppose myself or people around me a little bit I mean I'm not totally out there by any means but I, I think I just like doing things that are a bit unexpected and then like just sit back and see what happens. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the studio and the kind of projects you work on and where you're based and how many people you have with you. So I am based in Hammersmith in West London and I have a team of six people and uh, we do mostly residential design but we also do we do a little bit of commercial I think our approach is probably a bit more sort of suitable for residential design and we work pretty hard <laughs> we get quite a lot done in a way we're quite a small team given how much work we do and we're a close-knit team and kind of a bit like a family sounds a bit cheesy but I think we are and um, I really like sort of everyone knowing each other really well and working closely it's you know like our designs it's very you know it's very personal and hopefully meaningful to everyone who's here certainly it's to me anyway <laughs> and, and you say you say when you walk into a room you need a dance of the eye lots of rooms are comfy and beautiful but I want to create rooms that are more exciting that energize a space and when you look through your website I mean there, there there's so much color and originality in your work it's a real joy to see 
I suppose now when we've all been, you know, housebound for a certain amount of time, it's become even more clear to me how important it is not only to feel yeah, comfortable and cozy, but also to be inspired. So I think, you know, entering a room, being, I guess, a little bit challenged, not too much, but just I think when you have, a, you know, it's it's about having a certain contrast, combining different styles, combining colors in a way that makes you think. And I think when you get, it's almost like you want to create this harmonious tension, <laughs> which is when I think, uh, you know, I, um, I say, you know, every room should sing. And this is what I mean. You just have this kind of tension between different things, colors, styles, and even high and low in terms of what type of furniture you put in a room. And I think when, when I don't definitely don't always get it right, but when you do, I think you sort of, your heart kind of lifts a little bit and hopefully it will make you appreciate the room, the environment you're in, and therefore put you a little bit more in, in the moment that you're in. And, you know, you want to forget about the outside world a little bit and just immerse yourself in the space. And again, if we get it right, hopefully it, can, it might inspire sort of new thoughts because you might stop to think, oh, like, oh, what is that exactly? Like, what am I looking at? Endlessly putting, you know, lion poor feet on armchairs and like, embroidering eyelashes on on sofas and stuff like that and I think it's because I'm trying to communicate how I see the world and how I look at objects and you know the objects it might not be alive but it's certainly not dead <laughs> and I think I guess with that I'm suggesting that the, the you know the armchair has a personality and like it's a bit like an animal or whatever and I think that you know it might not be to everyone certainly it's not to everyone's taste but at least it might make someone stop to think like what is that what am I looking at and I think through that perhaps it can open your mind to other possibilities and overall make you a bit more open-minded which I'm quite interested in and yeah again just challenging convention a little bit. <laughs> it's almost like looking at a Dali painting you know it's not what you're used to, or you, you think you're looking at an ordinary room and then actually your eye gets drawn in deeper and actually there's a lot more going on. Exactly so there's definitely you know, yeah, it's slightly surreal for sure. And I think it's that it's that kind of effect I'm after. But then, you know, you don't want to go too far in that direction. I think it's quite fun to design a restaurant. So when we did the Farm Girl restaurant in Chelsea, for that kind of environment, people go there for an evening or for lunch or whatever, and they experience the space. And it's okay that it's a bit, it's very stylized. And it's almost like a sort of cartoon or or like you know animated world. Yeah, like a, a yeah. stage set. Exactly, and I, I think that is I'm you know I'd love to do more of that because I'm so interested in that kind of that feeling and creating a different world. But I don't. It's not really appropriate to do that in someone's home that they're going to be in, you know, all year around in like lots of different moods and times. And so I think in a residential setting, you don't want to put. You don't want to push that surreal aspect too much because then it just becomes a bit weird and I don't think that is actually it's not a natural place to be you know it's not human nature isn't just one thing so when I, I think when you push it too far it can become too prescriptive so you need to get that balance right but I also do think there's a lot of room to like introduce small elements of that kind of thinking and I, I, I guess people don't do that so much. Did you live in a little dream world as a girl as a child? 
Um, I think I, I was relatively isolated. So I grew up in the in the middle of, sort of in the middle of nowhere in the south of Sweden, combined with the fact that my parents just would never drive me anywhere. <laughs> and I have, um, I have, uh, I'm one of four children. So I had my siblings, but we're all, um, we're sort of all three years apart. So in terms of, you know, we, we played a lot together, but we're also at slightly different times in our lives. I, so I suppose I did spend quite a lot of time on my own. Um, there was a girl, in, one girl in the village who was my age, so we, we played a lot together and we just kind of had to find ways of amusing ourselves. We'd play out in the forest a lot. We sort of created like little imaginary worlds where we almost like a bit like a role play. <laughs> and uh, we had um, different characters that we thought of. We did, a, we, I read a lot, I did a lot of drawing. So I do think it really, well, A, another thing in Sweden, you don't start school until you're seven. So I had a long time where I was basically just left to my own devices, being very creative, making something out of nothing really and like being out in nature and maybe it's a bit unfair but I would say my parents are relatively hands-off I guess you can be when you're in you know in the countryside like that you just open the door and the children can run around in a way that this wouldn't be possible in London and, and it really cemented you know my approach to life and then when I started school I didn't wasn't particularly popular <laughs> basically no one really wanted to hang out with me for the first three years but then the way for me the way I coped with that was really like it just kind of escaping more into my own world and just exploring that creative side doing like more reading and I don't know so yeah I definitely think it really made me who I am today obviously <laughs> as most childhoods do well I and it definitely informed the way I design well, I think lots of people want to know you now because you're the coolest girl in town. <laughs> your furniture. So you've just started, or you've been doing it for a while, doing your own few bespoke pieces. And there aren't a lot of straight lines in that, Beata. <laughs> no, again, I think it's because, uh, you know, the, there's, there's a lot of curves in life. But for some reason, I think... I mean, a lot of it obviously has to do with the manufacturing process. I think, you know, it, it's much cheaper to make furniture with straight lines and much easier. So that kind of look is what's been pushed by manufacturers, definitely by high street shops. And I definitely think, you know, with, you know, curves should be all around us as a natural part of life, but you just don't see it so much in furniture. And when we put a room together, I think, you know, I just instinctively feel like I need more curves, but there's nowhere to really buy furniture like that. So I just started making it basically. So I think our entire collection has come out of doing specific projects and not having, feeling the room needs something like curves and not being actually being able to buy it anywhere. And then also when I worked for Nikki Haslam, we did everything bespoke there, like all the furniture was made bespoke. So I learned that I wasn't scared by that. Um, it can be a bit daunting, obviously, making bespoke furniture because all the pressure is on you, at least when you buy a chair from someone else, you know, that other person will have thought about it being comfortable <laughs> and the right seat depth or whatever. So th there is a lot more pressure and things can, you know, it's a risk and things can go wrong, but it's also a risk worth taking because you get something completely unique and hopefully having done it for like, you know, 16 years, I should be quite good at it by now but you learn a lot you know when you do it and it doesn't always work out perfectly 
but yeah, the whole collection of things that I felt various rooms needed designer for clients that I couldn't find, so I just made it myself. <laughs> and and you, you use small, independent, Swedish, British, and some Italian makers, is that right? Uh, <laughs> that is right. <laughs> um, so we, um, so it's made by, it, it's mostly British, but we have some people who work with in Italy and a few people in Sweden, and, and it's all, yeah, like small, you know, studios and, and makers that we have worked with uh, for a long time and um, and yeah, all made by hand. Now, you've got quite an exciting project coming up because you're doing your first book. Yes. Tell us about that. So it's going to be published with Rizzoli in March. I've been working on it during lockdown. It's been a bit challenging, <laughs> but I think I've cracked it. It'll, it'll you've be got, fine. You've got two little girls at home as well, haven't you? Yeah, I got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And it's been a bit, I, I had a lot of the pho photography, but the, there was like three, four projects that I needed to photograph, which I basically done over the last couple of weeks. So it's been very, quite tiring doing all these shoots. And, but I'm very... I, you know, I guess I could have postponed the deadline, but I'm quite, I just, I always just like push to get things done. I'm, I, I would describe myself as a doer and this just needed to get done. <laughs> but I'm really excited about, I also want to, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. So it's really nice to, I've, you know, I'm happy that I think I managed to, to um, put it all together. <laughs> and um, it's going to be, uh, it will be called Every Room Should Sing. It's 10 chapters. Each chapter has one of the projects that we worked on, but then it's more about the sort of principles behind how we design rather than talking too much about the specific projects in detail. So um, it will be about how to kind of express your personality, you know, unlocking your imagination and also talking a little bit about the practical side of things. But it's, I'm, I'm focusing on, you know, how to design in a bit with a more imaginative approach and trying to find the confidence to do that um so hopefully it will be sort of relevant to people when it, it's not so much for other interior designers it's more for people who are interested in their own homes so when you first meet a client what is the most important thing what are the kind of questions that you ask them in order to find out about their personality and their style and, and how you think they're going to live? So I think it, it's really important with a client that there's some sort of chemistry between, you know, me and the team and the client. So there needs to be this sort of mutual appreciation. Yeah, there needs to be a spark. So I think it depends a bit on the person. Like everyone, this is also why I find so fascinating about this job is trying to work out who they are. And it's not always it's not one approach fits everyone. So you just will meet them and then start asking questions that is a bit um, tailored to however they seem to be. Like certain people, you can tell that they want to get really personal immediately and then you lean into that. And other people are a bit more, you know, a bit more cautious and on guard maybe. So you just have to, like what you, you know, what you want is to get a conversation going where you get to know them um, in a rounded way. and you just have to judge each situation uh, and depending on who, how they seem when you meet them and then and it's about gaining trust it's however you gain trust with that particular type of person but it will at some point I have to ask quite 
you know, relatively personal questions, but you know, really I'm just trying to get a sense of how they spend their days, like what do they do, what do they enjoy doing in the spare time. I normally always ask what they feel isn't working in the current house or what they're lacking and just trying to fill in the gaps really. And then after that, I will put together a pitch presentation with ideas and then that will hopefully show them that I we kind of get who they are and then take it from there really. But this, you know, sometimes, you know, you kind of can almost tell from a phone call, well, you don't really have to meet them in person, but you, you know, in the beginning, you just try and work out whether there's a spark between you, whether it's going to work. And some, some, sometimes we're not the right designer <laughs> for them, but the longer we do this for, we, we now, I think we, you know, people kind of know what type of work that we do. So normally now it, it, it's, it works really well from the beginning. It, it, it's just when I first set up the company, I had a few scenarios where it just wasn't the right fit. I mean, it's quite brave to turn people down at the beginning of your journey, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think you can just sort of tell. And I think there's like an elegant way to do it. And as I said, it doesn't really happen now because I think there's already this, they know a bit more about me before they even contact us. It, it's, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not normally a problem these days. But I think it, it's a really long journey. You know, most projects takes normally definitely over a year, sometimes two, even three years. And it's really important that you get on. And if you don't, it's a nightmare for everyone involved. So, you know, it might be in a comfortable, you know, conversation early on, but it's much better to like face it and work out and not, and not get involved in this big project unless it's, unless it's right and unless it's going to be a good fit for the client. And when you started out, I mean, you, you say you had your first job with Nicky Haslam. Was he, was he your sort of ideal? Was, was that the job you really wanted or were you just... I mean, in- to be totally honest, I actually didn't know who he was. Because <laughs> I'd only just... <laughs> moved. <laughs> well, he might listen to this. But because um, I'd just moved here from Sweden. I'd only been here for a few months and I just happened to talk to someone that he knew and I, I was studying interior design at the time only really because I needed something to study and they had like a space left the one day before this course was meant to start, which perhaps should have been a warning sign, but it was terrible. And I was complaining to someone about it and that person happened to know Nikki and she just said, if, you know, I can introduce you to Nikki, like, you know, it might be better if you work there rather than continuing your course. And I met with him and then he hired me on the spot I was very lucky it was very good timing I think that wouldn't it it just wouldn't happen that way these days it's also just before it became really popular like it it was much less competitive and also he's he's quite like spur of the moment kind of person um you know he takes risks I think he likes the idea of hiring quite green people (laughs) and I've heard him say before he likes sort of to shape people sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't work but uh, I was lucky that it worked out and and it actually turned out to be you know the best place for me to work now that I know who all the designers are I you know he definitely is the best one for me to to work for I I feel very lucky and if that hadn't happened you know I don't definitely don't think I'd be where I am now or maybe not even be in this industry so yeah that was fortuitous. (laughs) So as well as the book what what are the projects that you're working on at the moment? Um, so we have, I think, sort of work on five, six projects. One really exciting one in New York, which is this brownstone house, which I think is going to be very cool. And we're doing a project in Rotterdam and we're doing a few in London. And yeah, this, this and that. And yeah, a few abroad, which 
which is really exciting. So I think it's a really good mix of different things. And again, I, I just, I want to do things where I feel like we're, we can do a really good job. We can be really excited about it and it works really well, which is also why I, I think the team is relatively small. So I'd rather just keep it quite small and do projects that we can really focus on rather than stretching ourselves too thin. You know, like, like everyone, obviously I want to be a profitable business, but I think for me, it's a lot about, you know, the product and only doing, you know, it, it takes so much time and effort and I only want to do things that I feel are really good. So we, you know, if we wouldn't do something just for like commercial reasons alone at all. Mm. So just keeping it quite small and hopefully, at a high level <laughs> it's the idea <laughs> well it's i mean if you look on the website it, personally i would be very happy to live in any of those places <laughs> oh thank you so much well i'm excited about this book because we there's going to be three three four projects in there that i that no one has seen before so most of the stuff that's on our website are things that we did a few years ago so i'm you know you always get so excited about I love what's on there, but then obviously I think you get better and better. And I'm, so I'm really excited about the new stuff that we're doing now. Um, so I can't wait. That's, so that's uh, cool about the book as well, that it'll have some new projects and show something that's a bit, a little bit different maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, can't wait to see it. Beata, thank you so much for your time. It's been- oh, Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you want to hear more about what's going on in the world of design and decoration, sign up to our new newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. There's a special gift for the first 100 to do so.